0: Hi there, it's Jess, your friendly, licensed marriage and family therapist, trauma-informed personal trainer, and your host. Today's most downloaded episode is about adults living with ADHD. I will tell you, I got the most active feedback from this episode. People wanted to talk about it with me, and I think we address part of the reason why in the episode... Often when we think about ADHD we think about children and who is talking about adults who may be living with ADHD undiagnosed because there are a lot of you out there. What I love about Lynn um, there's many things I love about Lynn Highland but what I love about Lynn is that she can really sift through the different experiences of an adult and help them discover and find or assess whether or not they are living with ADHD in a way that is very astute, very clear. And I have sent several people her way who come through the process happy to know either way. And if they do have ADHD, it explains a lot of things and they get a lot of skills In the episode itself, I think that the most fascinating part was when we started talking about the brain and executive functioning. So executive functioning is like Lynn says, the master controller of your life. It's the master remote. It's in charge of your light fixtures, your ceiling fan, your stereo system, your TV, everything just on that one remote control, right? And so for the brain, that's the area that controls a lot of things like paying attention, stopping and starting, right? Our inhibitions, um, impulsivity, our level of energy, even our management of our emotional energy. You also got motivation in this area of the brain, time management, not just kind of managing our time, but really being able to even tell how long something's taking, So for a brain with ADHD, maybe they thought 20 minutes passed, but it's been two hours. I mean, that's a big deal when you're trying to stay organized and accomplish your goals, right? And so what happens with people with ADHD as compared to people who are what we call maybe neurotypical because their brain's wired in a typical fashion is that the areas that executive functioning in the brain are understimulated, so the executive functioning areas aren't working as well. And when our brain is understimulated, I mean, really, I think it's important to depathologize here and say this is has nothing to do with you. You're an amazing human being. You are not lazy. You are not distracted. You are not, you know, unput together, chaotic. Your brain is just wired differently. I mean, that's why, in some ways, some people take medication. Because that will instigate the brain, help the brain become more active, more stimulated. But there's other ways of working with that as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I think it's super informative, works really well to depathologize the diagnosis of ADHD and really normalize that we're all human. It's just for some of us, our brains are wired a little differently. Welcome to Insight Mind Body Talk, A body-based mental health podcast we're your hosts jessica warpla schultz
1: and jeannie kolker
0: whether you've tried everything to feel better and something is still missing or you've already discovered the wisdom of the body this podcast will encourage and support you in healing old wounds strengthening relationships and developing your inner potential all by accessing the mind body connection please know while we're excited to share and grow together This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for mental health treatment. It doesn't replace the one-on-one relationship you have with a qualified healthcare professional and is not considered psychotherapy. Thanks, Jess. And thank you for listening. Now let's begin a conversation about what happens when we take an integrative approach to improving our well-being. Welcome. Today's episode is about adults living with ADHD in ADHD Mythbusters, if you will. I've been really looking forward to this episode because I'm fascinated by the brain and I'm really interested in hearing what our guest has to say about how the brain influences a person's lived experience. We'll explain what ADHD is, what it is not, and destigmatize this mental health disorder. Our guest today is clinical psychologist and ADHD expert, Lynn Highland, someone we are very proud at Insight Counseling and Wellness to call our own. Welcome Lynn, I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thank you, Jess, I'm very excited to be here too. A little bit nervous, but mostly excited
0: about it. Well, you know, I get nervous too, and yet that's what makes it so amazing. The process of showing ourselves as therapists. So thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable and bringing your excited and nervous self to the table. Thank you. Yeah. Before we dig in, I'd love if you can share with our listeners a little bit more about who you are and how you chose this area of expertise.
1: Okay. As you said, Lynn Highland, I am a clinical psychologist. I work at Insight, which I love, and have been doing clinical work, i.e. therapy, psychotherapy, for 20 years. And ADHD is very close to my heart because I have ADHD. I was diagnosed when I was five, which was a really long time ago because at that point they called it hyperactivity. Okay. And I so I was diagnosed with that, but not really treated for it through into my adulthood. I wasn't totally aware of it. I knew about it on the side, but when I was in grad school, we went over discussing ADHD and it just made a lot of sense to me since I had it and I could see it in myself. And so I was very interested in treating ADHD as well as evaluating for ADHD. I used to see children as well as adults had lots and lots of children that I evaluated for ADHD and also some adults. Now I just see adults and over the years mm-hmm. ended up becoming one of my very big specialty areas and especially because I can completely relate and I think that my clients really appreciate that I do understand what's going on and
0: you yeah. know it's
1: it's good for them I think so.
0: Yeah I think that's so important that we can bring a lived experience to the work we do. Yeah. And I, I would assume it would be very validating for a client when they're building a relationship with a therapist, which is a relationship that being seen, being heard, feeling understood is essential to the work you do. To have your therapist understand what your lived experience has been, I believe that would positively impact the relationship and the work that the clients get to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is the one thing I always make sure if I'm seeing somebody for ADHD or doing an ADHD evaluation or just think they might have it, uh, I will share with them that I have it because I think that's really important for them to know that I'm not just going from the books. Yeah, that little bit of self-disclosure,
0: we call it in the therapy world when we share about ourselves in a way that serves and benefits the client. It's called self-disclosure. And I think that your choice to share that piece of who you are is really brave. And Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into it. We really want to talk about what is ADHD, which in the diagnostic manual, the proper name is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Yes. There's three classifications, inattention, impulsivity, and hyperactivity, and then combined type. Am I correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. So it's ADHD predominantly inattention, mm-hmm. ADHD predominantly impulsive hyperactive, mm-hmm. and ADHD combined type. Okay. Um, How would you I
0: explain think- what those three mean?
1: Oh, it's funny. One of the things that is a pretty big myth for ADHD is that people with ADHD will all look alike, all look hyper. Yeah. Right? You know, they're the ones that jump around. And ADHD was first diagnosed for children. In fact, it wasn't an adult diagnosis at all. And it continues to not be termed quite as an adult diagnosis. Mm. And the descriptors that we use for it, the criterion that we use to diagnose it is based on children, not on adults. And so people think about ADHD, they think about a child who just can't sit still. And that is, is quite the myth. The ADHD predominantly in attention, what the people call ADD, is mm-hmm. one where the, the person is having trouble paying attention and staying focused They're easily distracted. And you'll see these people will be the kids that or adults that kind of zone out. Also, you get distracted by things and it may look like you're not paying attention. Even if you're trying uh, to Mm pay attention, you're distracted by something. And we see especially a lot of girls with ADD, attention deficit, predominantly inattention, don't get diagnosed because they're quiet. And, you know, they they don't attract a lot of attention, but they zone out a lot. And so they miss things in class. I actually, generally, I'd say I diagnose, I I evaluate more women than men, uh, because I think more boys get the diagnosis as children than girls. Mm. And so I'll have somebody come into me who's female and they have it, but they never got diagnosed because they were quiet.
0: And yeah, it, part of, in a way, the gender conditioning, people pleasers, wait till spoken to, condition not to push the boundaries. So I can see how that diagnosis might fly under the radar.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And these girls then have, they zone out, like in classes, and they miss a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it's very frustrating. And they get told, "You have so much potential. You're not living up to your potential." And without getting that diagnosis, which is explaining why they're not living up to that potential. Mm-hmm. So uh, then yeah. there's ADHD, predominantly hyperactivity, impulsivity. So hyperactivity is lots of energy, and we see that in kids with ADHD. We see it as they're they're constantly on the move. We talk about like they're driven by a motor. We also see that they are also verbally hyperactive. They tend to be the, the real talkative ones. Okay. The impulsivity combines with this where you do something without thinking about it first. And so you say something impulsively. These are the kids that run out that are playing catch and the ball rolls out in the street and they run out to catch it, not even paying attention to whether cars are coming.
0: They sure. do
1: And in adults with the hyperactivity, often you're you're not going to see it as much. Usually adults have learned enough self-control, but also learned enough ways of working around it. So, for Mm -hmm. example, you can have ADHD with hyperactivity as an adult. And if you're in a meeting, you get up to get a drink of water or you have to go to the bathroom or you wander, leave you to go look at something, whatever, or do things that are socially appropriate so that you can get out of your seat. But oftentimes adults have verbal hyperactivity, so they're just really talkative, as well as mental hyperactivity, which is something, one of those myths that people don't realize is part of part of ADHD hyperactivity is mental hyperactivity. Your brain's constantly going, and it's going fast all the time.
0: I want to get back to that. I know we're going to talk about the brain in a second. What does both
1: look like when it's combined? That's the big part where there's not a, a specific. It doesn't all look the same, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got somebody who has more inattention than hyperactivity impulsivity, but they still have the hyperactive impulsive, so they are more likely to maybe be a little quieter. Maybe not as running, but their brain's going and they get distracted by their own thoughts. Mm. And so that's part of distractibility. It's not just external. It's also internal. Mm -hmm. Others, they'll be more hyperactive, impulsive, but still have that inattention component. And there are ones that actually hurt a lot of people's feelings pretty easily because they just say whatever comes to mind. They think really quick. You'll find them a lot, like you you miss their transitions. They'll be in a conversation. They'll suddenly okay. start talking about something you weren't talking about. It's, whoa, what, we're, this isn't what we were talking about. And they've already gone through this process of a transition and they don't realize nobody else was following. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we have these three
0: types. What do you see as most common?
1: In adulthood, I tend to see more of the combined type. That's mm-hmm. for sure. If somebody has reached adulthood without an ADHD di- diagnosis, they're probably mild, have mild to okay. moderate ADHD. And a lot of people have a picture in their head of somebody with extreme, with more significant ADHD. And so that the person with mild ADHD, who made it through into adulthood, relatively yeah. successful, but is, is struggling with some things and wonders, why am I always sticking my foot in my mouth? Why Do I always miss out on the conversation? Why can't I just sit still and relax on a vacation? Those sorts of things are more mild. If you've gone through into adulthood being eh, relatively successful or at least functional and you're like, what's the ADHD diagnosis going to do for me? It actually just explains a lot. Mm
0: -hmm. It takes
1: that guilt that you have for not meeting your potential away and it also says oh look here's a bunch of things coping strategies you can try to help you with your ADHD and and you can start applying those things and you wouldn't have gotten those probably if you hadn't gotten that diagnosis. I'm excited to share with our listeners some of those strategies
0: that you use with your clients and with the groups that you work with. Going back to the the depathologizing, which means helping someone feel like they're not the problem. I think giving a diagnosis can do that. I agree completely in that there are these symptoms or experiences we're having. And often we internalize and look for fault, right? Just normally trying to figure out what's going on. And often, like you said, why am I always sticking my foot in my mouth? Why am I struggling to maintain this relationship? Or why is it so easy for the people around me to get their homework turned in during a pandemic when we're all online. But it's really hard for me to do that. Or why am I trying harder than everybody else? And yet I'm farther behind everybody else. And the diagnosis can help take the I out of it. And Right. reasoning.
1: Yes, and then, and it is a. It's not something. First of all, it's invisible, which is hard. But it's not something made up. There's actually brain function involved, and it's how your brain is wired. And it's not your fault you have ADHD. Yeah, you have you have a condition. Your brain, you know, is wired differently from birth, and that's just how it is. And you need to adapt to it. But it's not your fault that you have it. Yeah. And a lot of it is, oh, you just need to be more disciplined about it. You just need to put in more effort and willpower. Well, the, the whole point of ADHD is it doesn't respond to effort and willpower. Well, people try and try and try. And then they come into me with depression or anxiety because they spent their whole lives not quite being their potential. And they've been, they don't know why they become kind of, there's a unexplained incompetence sometimes yeah, just that's absolutely failing. true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen that as well, where there are outlying influencers or factors that have nothing to do with how hard they're trying or that absolutely. they're not good enough. No wonder you have anxiety. No wonder you're feeling low and depressed about your future. So maybe let's look at it this way and see if we can treat the symptoms or assess, first of all, for ADHD and consider whether you want medication in your life or not, since about 80% of people respond pretty well to medication for ADHD. And then looking at how can I work with the diagnosis in a way that makes me feel better. Let's talk a little bit more. You mentioned the brain. I'm always excited to talk about the brain. I don't know that much about the neurology of ADHD. What can you share with us?
1: So what's going on in the brain, the wiring quote unquote issue, the wiring difference in that is that the, it it takes place in the prefrontal cortex, which is near the front of the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's an area in there that Manages what we call executive functioning. And executive functioning is the master controller of, okay. of your life. And so it controls things like paying attention, starting and stopping attention, inhibitions, right? Whether you are inhibited or impulsive, managing your level of energy, managing your level of emotional energy motivation is in there as well. Time management, not just planning things, but also being able to tell how long something is taking or even what time it is. So there's all these different, in that one area, that control so many different things. And what happens with people with ADHD as compared to people who are what we call neurotypical because their brain Mm -hmm. was in a typical fashion, is that that area is understimulated. So, the executive functioning area is understimulated in the brain, which means that it's not working as well. And when the brain is understimulated in that area, it means that you just don't, you're not, that's a weakness. You're not able to do those things well. And those executive functioning things, really make you functional that's why medications that's often prescribed are things like ritalin and adderall and all their various formats is psychostimulants is to stimulate that area of the brain mm-hmm. to get it working because if it's more stimulated and it's working more that means you're going to have more uh control over those things and you're going to function better with those executive functions That makes a lot
0: of sense. Do you know anything about the root cause? Is it
1: genetic? Yeah, it's very genetic. In fact, it is so heritable. It's more heritable than eye color.
0: Wow. Wow. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So if you have ADHD and you have a child, your child has a 50 to 80% chance of getting ADHD. For example, I have ADHD and I have two children each of my children had a 50 to 80% chance of getting ADHD all of them got it but their ADHD looks different for each of them it, even though it comes from me the same same antecedent
0: <laughs> I hear um, what you're saying even though it's coming from the same source there you go the, yes the presentation epigenetics yeah. within them is very different it is yes yeah yes. let's talk about Jessica McNabb she did a TED talk it's called how to adhd and she shares her story very moving story by the way if people want to check it out she she does a great job of summarizing her personal experience yes. of having adhd and feeling as though she wasn't living into her full potential and she talked about how for her when she was a child it was like if she wasn't interested in something it was like trying to nail jello to the wall to get her <laughs> to be, and I that's such a like clear visualization It really is yeah Speaking of that especially in the body work I do sometimes it's moving the body more changing the diet meditating trying to create lifestyle changes or or change habits or even change how we think about ourselves. I hear stories of shame of like, why can't I find that motivation? I must be lazy. I'm just, I don't
1: care enough.
0: Yeah. And so I'd love if you could explain to our listeners the idea of motivation.
1: So Motivation is controlled in the executive functioning part of the brain, just like we were talking about earlier. People with ADHD have little to no internal motivation. Internal motivation is where you say, I'm going to do this thing and you do it. You don't say I'm going to do this because you just say, I'm going to do this thing. Which I did not know, by the
0: way, I did not know someone with ADHD does not have an internal Internal, source of motivation. I didn't know that. And if you think about how much self-help propaganda is (laughs) about yes. just do it. It's all within. If you yes. can't be with yourself and find motivation, something wrong with you that you have to work on. Yeah. I call it propaganda it is, because it's really stigmatized. And so they think if I can't pull that from, from within, what's wrong with me?
1: Yeah. And, and the answer may be you have ADHD and you have little to no internal motivation. So you have to get external motivations and external motivators are not just things like grades and money. It's also how you feel about things, which you'd say is internal. But what it is that because of the stuff around you, it makes you feel good or bad. So I work with people with ADHD. They come to me because they're having trouble with something, like focusing on the job, getting their work done for work or for school or what have you. And it's okay. You probably have little to no internal motivation. So we need to figure out what external motivators can motivate you? What external things can motivate you? Do you want to get straight A's? If you do, that might be enough motivator. Do you want to get a promotion at work? If so, that might motivate you. Deadlines are huge motivators for people. Mm -hmm. It's and, And I cannot tell you how many people over the years I've spoken with who had ADHD who are like, it's the two days before the project is due, yeah. be it school or work, mm-hmm. and they they pull an all-nighter, and but they couldn't get to it. And they kept wanting to get to it, but they never got to it before then. And it was that deadline, it was that pressure. And mm-hmm. so some people with ADHD can really thrive in high pressured environments, because they've got that constant external motivator pushing them. If you don't have an external motivator, then it's like creating one. Sometimes one of the best ones is accountability, right? It's if you say, okay, I'm going to get this done by Monday, and it's not due till Friday. eh? you're never going to work on it you know, I have to get this done by Monday because I promised my coworker that I'd get it to them so they could do their part, or right? Having somebody that you have to get something done for or they're going to be upset or they're going to fail. Those sorts of accountability can really help. One of one big external motivator is actually, it seems an internal, but it, it's not, the motivation isn't is not internal, but the feelings are. Anxiety is a huge motivator. For example, when somebody is really worried about getting good grades, they can actually be very motivated and get everything done and look like a, an ideal student because they are so motivated by their anxiety, it just keeps them on edge. It's like pressure. Like, what's okay. this pressure of the anxiety? Then what happens is they reach adulthood, they where they've succeeded really well, school, college, if they go work, and then they get to a point where they're not worried about it anymore, or they get treated for their anxiety. And when their anxiety goes down, all of a sudden, they're not functioning very well anymore. Yeah. They're starting to get the motivation to get things done because they've always had that anxiety pushing them. Mm-hmm. They don't know why they're suddenly not able to get things done. And they're finally relaxed for the first time in their lives. And it's so hard because when we get to this point in a therapy setting, the person oftentimes has to decide between managing their ADHD functioning and being anxious. Wow. And that's why it's really good to identify ADHD as well, is that if it was anxiety keeping you going, you don't want to spend your life anxious. You need some coping strategies and different ways you can do things like create motivation. So you can live, be functional mm-hmm. and if not be anxious. Yeah. Because that anxiety,
0: it wears on us. It wears on our body. I've seen that as well. That's
1: absolutely true. One of the main things we see for people with ADHD is a lot of procrastination, right? And just attending to things when you have trouble attending is really tiring. And so you want it to be easier to attend to things it's easier to tend to things when you have motivation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yes. if your motivation is low, and you're, you're struggling to find something, then then you generally procrastinate a lot. We have a technique, I just call it is called the procrastination technique, but it's used to help you when you're struggling to get something done that you think you should get done, but you just can't seem to get the energy and the motivation to do that to start. We don't use this just for ADHD. I actually use it for people who have procrastination through other things. They're depressed or they're anxious or just darn busy. So what happens with the procrastination technique is if there's this wall to getting started, Mm. if you've got this big project and you're like, okay, I got to do this project, but actually starting on the project is the hardest part. Oh, so true. Yes. There's like, Mm -hmm. like this wall, this barrier between you and getting the project done. The procrastination technique is So when you have a big project, to get over that wall, you can make the wall smaller. If you make the wall smaller, then you can get over the wall with the amount of motivation you already have. And the way to get that smaller is to have the project be smaller. And so Mm -hmm. how we do this is, I tell people and I do it myself, is okay, you've got this big project, break it down into small pieces. So you have small goals. So for example, if you have say a research paper you have to do for school. Okay, break this down, this research paper. It's like a 10 page research paper. Oh my gosh, it's gonna take so long. Break it down, what's the first thing you have to do? Come up with a topic. So yeah. go ahead and get a topic. And next, do something that's only gonna take you a few minutes to do. And then you're gonna say, I'm gonna go Google search it and write down five articles to read. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, I'm gonna read one article today or what have you. So you can break it down into small bites. You can also break it down into time pieces. I'm going to work on that for 10 minutes today. Now, if you think about things, most people are like 10 minutes. Oh, I can do that for 10 minutes. That's yeah. fine. And then the timer goes off. I recommend people use timers if they want yeah. to. Timer goes off and you're like, okay, I'm done. I can do a few more things. And so what we find is that you make a goal. Say you make a goal, 10 minutes each day, you're going to work. Okay. And people are like, that's not very much. By the end of the week, you've done 70 minutes. The motivation, I believe,
0: sometimes kicks in once we're doing something. Like the inspiration and the interest kicks in once we've already started going during our production meeting you brought up a concept that you've witnessed in your work something you call the zone of comfort right now this procrastination technique it's reminding me about breaking things down and getting into it can you explain for our listeners the zone of
1: comfort absolutely it's about the amount of stimulation that you have so everybody has this place where they there's too much stimulation and they get overwhelmed. Or there's too little stimulation and you get bored. And for most people, they prefer not to spend time bored or overwhelmed. Those are really uncomfortable. And so everybody's got this band that is their zone of comfort between too much stimulation and too little stimulation, between overwhelm and boredom. The thing for people with ADHD is they also have this band, but I believe it's much more narrow. So in other words, they are easily thrown out of that zone of comfort by a little more stimulation or a little less stimulation. And that people who are neurotypical and don't have ADHD, theirs is kind of wider so they can tolerate more stimulation before they get overwhelmed and they can tolerate less stimulation before they're bored. Now, the thing with ADHD is that doesn't mean it's strictly right in the middle because there's some people with ADHD who get bored very easily and so their zone of comfort is near the top mm-hmm. where there could be a lot of stimulation and they're still bored and these would be the people with adhd you think are thrill seekers the ones that like to bungee mm-hmm. jump high dive or drive really fast whereas other people with adhd will get overwhelmed by too much stimulation i actually i think i'm one of these people because what happens is i can't stand to work at a desk that isn't neat and tidy if there's paper scattered around it's too much stimulation. It feels like chaos to me. Mm. And so I have found one of my coping strategies for my ADHD and this zone of comfort is that I make sure my task, my desk is tidy when I'm going to work on it. And then I feel it's less stimulation and I'm more comfortable and I'm also made, able to focus better.
0: It reminds me of in sensory motor psychotherapy, we have what's called the modulation module our thoughts, our feelings, our physical sensations, movement, the senses. At all times, that information is coming together in our present moment and within this window of tolerance. And so if something happens that makes us feel overwhelmed, we may leave our window of tolerance and go above it. We also go down into hypoarousal. So we freeze or we feel numb or shut down or collapse. And the way you describe that comfort zone is the way we describe the window of tolerance. Everyone's is different. It can be smaller. It can be bigger. It can change based on the day. Or even let's say now, if you're a person with ADHD, you're window of tolerance may be smaller than the neurotypical brain and why that's interesting knowing this i think can really help a person in predicting triggers or observing what's happening within their system so that they can make individualized choices for coping like you said you're closer to the edge that needs less stimulation less input coming into your brain helps regulate your system Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely that's so cool we're not done yet. We want to share practical strategies for anyone listening. Yeah. Someone with ADHD has a poor working memory, right?
1: So what happens is in the brain with memory is you have to keep something in short-term memory long enough for it to go into intermediate and long-term memory. So the short-term memory is a few seconds to a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. mostly seconds for people with ADHD, but you have to stay focused on it. And so it, it takes your attention. Good example of this. Say you meet somebody at a party and you meet them and you're like, hi, and you each give your name. Let's say Bob. You meet Bob and you're like, oh, this is Bob. Okay. Hi. It's nice to meet you, Bob. So what do you do for a living? And Bob starts talking about what he does for a living. By that point, I'm now focused on, one, asking the question, what do you do for a living? Mm. Two, listening to him say, what do you do for a living? And I have forgotten Bob's name Mm. because I can't keep it in my head long enough because you have to focus on it long enough to get it into intermediate and then long-term memory. And so the same thing happens if you decide you're in the middle of, say, your living room and you realize, oh, I need to go grab that piece of mail and get it up to the mailbox that's in my office. And you walk from the living room to your office. And by the time you've gotten to your office, you've been distracted by something and you forgot what you came to the office for. Yes. You just can't remember. Again, most people have these moments and everything, yeah. but people with ADHD have them a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the things I really recommend is technology. We have such amazing technology now. For helping with various skills, but this one for memory, really good ones. And so, Alexa, Siri, Google Nest, whatever it is, those devices that are set up to listen and answer, you can say, Alexa, add something to my to do list. And Alexa will ask you, What do you want to add? And you say, What it is, or add hamburger to my grocery list. And You don't have to stop and find a piece of paper. You don't have to take care of the issue immediately, right? And so now I just use my phone, whether I stop and type something in or I, you know, have Siri at it. My coping strategy for this for many years, I would think of something I meant to tell my husband. And then I'd go into his office to say, oh, I remember we're supposed to talk about this. And he would look at me and go, could you not interrupt my work? (laughs) I'm like, oh, gosh, because one, I'm impulsive, but two, Mm -hmm. I know if I don't do something about it immediately, I absolutely will forget it. Uh And in fact, many of the times I would go in to bug him is because I'd remembered and then forgotten and remembered and forgotten and remembered and forgotten. And by the way, for anybody who uh, lives with somebody with ADHD, close your office door. (laughs) I will tell you, just close your office door. If I, I kept telling him, please close your office door. If you close your door, and he just didn't want to close his door, I'm like, it will stop me from interrupting you, I promise, because I'll have that barrier there.
0: We have just such access to technology, and I just wonder how many marriages are flowing better now that Siri exists. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> But I mean, that does bring up having reasonable expectations for ourselves and for our loved ones with ADHD and, you know, having that conversation about how to support each other. The more we can educate loved ones or family members on what it's like to have ADHD, the more we can increase the empathy and the understanding of how to support them. So that in those moments, if you walk in, it doesn't feel like you did something wrong. Both people in the equation know, up. Oh, there's some ADHD and we can support each other and move through
1: it. So there's a really good book called driven to distraction that explains ADHD. It was written by a, I believe a psychiatrist and I'm not certain, but I think he has ADHD. You have to understand. I read this 17 years ago, but It gives you all these case examples. So you can see all the different ways that ADHD can present. It gives people kind of an idea. And in fact, when my husband and I were dating, I gave him this book to read. And he read it and he really understood my ADHD more. Understanding there's a shift
0: to compassion and supporting each other. I can imagine how if it's either undiagnosed or the partner or family member or employer doesn't have an understanding of ADHD that it can cause some pretty big conflicts or issues. So, so I'm glad you mentioned that book. That's wonderful. Driven to Distraction. Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks for bringing the body into the equation and helping the whole system regulate and function better?
1: Absolutely. One of the things is that, especially for people with the hyperactivity component, you can have a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, and so just straight out, if you have the hyperactivity thing, Get regular exercise, take it, use it. It can help you feel more in control of your energy levels. Mindfulness, meditation, yoga, things like that, all help to slow down thinking in the brain, but also to to bring things into focus as well. Mm. They've studied mindfulness with ADHD, especially with kids with ADHD, and found that kids getting trained in mindfulness really helps kids with ADHD quite a bit sure and I think it's great for adults as well one of the things just to mention is that I know for myself and I've spoken with a few people who with ADHD have had the same kind of experience is that I really struggle to meditate on my own to sit still for 10 minutes and just frankly just to sit still for 10 minutes is really hard for me sure yeah in the first place But to stay in the moment and everything, I struggle with that. But when I do guided meditation, it works really well for me. If that works for you to have some sort of external guide for it, then use that. You don't need to be sitting there frustrated. That's helpful. That's helpful. With my clients, when I'm leading guided meditations,
0: that is something we've talked about, whether or not a person has ADHD, but especially if I've learned in my practice that The more I can guide and help someone stay in the present moment, either through a body scan, visualizations, or positive affirmations, the more they feel as though, or they report back to me, they can turn their brain off, or it gives their brain something to focus on. Like you said before, for some, the hyperactivities inside the mind. Absolutely. Yep.
1: Absolutely. It's It's a lot of this is doing what works right and when yeah. you look around somebody with ADHD looks around at their coworkers, say and they see everybody's getting their stuff in and they're not having problems with it and they're not working so hard and you're trying to work the same way they work it's not working because you yeah. have a different wiring in your brain and it's, it's like finding what works for you and mm-hmm. sure the people around you don't quote-unquote need to do these things that you need to do but what does it matter? You need to do what you need to do, of course, safely and not harming others and all that of stuff. Course. But just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you need to ask your boss to give you hard deadlines, that give you plenty of time to get the project done before it's due. Ask your boss to give you hard deadlines, right?
0: Good point. And the more you know yourself and you can communicate about that to those around you, the more opportunity you have to get your needs met. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I find right now with COVID and people working from home, I've gotten this like rush of this deluge of, of ADHD evaluations to do mm. because so many people who have not been diagnosed with ADHD and who were functioning and doing okay have now been trying to work from home and it's pulling all these really problematic ADHD symptoms from them. They no longer have that accountability of somebody working next to them. They don't have the the people around them that makes them focus more. They have more distractions in their house than they did in their at their desk or their office or what have you. It's such so, a good point. Yeah, I've never had such a rush of of adult AHD evaluations. And it's all these people who have been very functional. They've got mild ADHD, they've been very functional. It's worked for them and mm-hmm. boom, things change and they are struggling a lot. And wow. I, some people with ADHD would say, what I need is I need one room that's completely empty in my house or in my, in my uh-huh. office or whatever. Like, yeah. And all the distractors are gone. So you could just go in there with your work and there's no distractors. And your house tends to be more distracting than your workspace. Oh, I can only imagine. I think that's a really valuable
0: point. Even though the world was opening up a little bit more now, things are going to shift. Offices are closing. It is changing more to remote work in a lot of different industries. So share one last tip. How do you support
1: someone in those moments? The distractibility thing is a quote-unquote, quote-unquote, simple fix of creating a space, even if you don't have a room for it, but creating a space that's not as distracting. And that maybe okay. you have to wearing headphones while you work the tidy desk if you have to create a corner in your room that is nothing on the walls it's a desk with a laptop on it or a computer on it and yeah. you sit there so you're not distracted by you have to face the corner or the wall don't face a window because I'll tell you what you'll be watching every car that goes past <laughs> you <laughs>
0: Again, Lynn, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your time and your skill in sharing with all of us. I want to let our listeners know, too, if you identify with any of this information, there are ways that you can seek a formal assessment from a specialist like Lynn. There's several in our community. And we hope this information also helps the loved ones of those with ADHD increase their understanding and their compassion for the atypical neurological experience. So to close out, Lynn, let's end with talking about the wonderful qualities that ADHD can create within a person. What do you see in your clients and even within yourself?
1: Oh, I have to tell you, one of the reasons I do specialize in ADHD is my clients who have ADHD are my favorite clients because they are so dynamic. Mm. Having conversations with them is so much fun and they'll hit all these different things because they'll meander in their thoughts as they get distracted by things. And that's really cool. It's fun You find a lot of energy and people with ADHD tend to be pretty sensitive. And of course, there's lots of people that will say, oh, you're too sensitive, negative quality. I think it's a fabulous quality. You find more I agree. passion, you find more creativity. A lot of people with ADHD have a lot of positivity as well, which is very cool and one of the best parts is the hyperfocus. If you get somebody with ADHD that is interested in a certain area, they can do amazing things because they're okay. able to just completely hyperfocus block other things out and really work on it. And they can be incredibly productive, incredibly good, incredibly detailed at things, thinking outside the box. And there's just really some absolutely fabulous parts to ADHD and people with ADHD. And I got to tell you, I don't know what it's like to be neurotypical. I don't know, but I wouldn't, I don't think I'd ever want to not be ADHD. Some days, eh, eh. It's a little hard to pay attention, but I've been able to manipulate my life in a way to make it fit and work. And so it doesn't cause me a lot of issues. And I think it gives me a lot of positives and I really like it.
0: I agree. I agree. And I'm glad you're you. I always appreciate your energy, enthusiasm, your drive and commitment to serve. And you just have so much to share. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. Yeah. But it was fun. Thanks Jess. Oh good. Good. Okay. Join us next week, where we talk about the wisdom of the body, a sensory motor approach to healing. We'll talk about treating trauma using the body as the entry point. It's one of my areas of expertise. It's an episode not meant to train you in using the model, I promise. No one's walking out a sensory motor psychotherapist, but instead deepen your understanding about sensory motor psychotherapy, its guiding principles, and its key concepts. I'm grateful to have Kate Louth, a fellow sensory motor psychotherapist, as my guest. I hope you'll join us. Thank you again for joining us on Insight Mind Body Talk, a body centered mental health podcast. We hope today's episode was empowering and supported you in strengthening your mind body connection. Please join us again next week as we continue to explore integrative approaches to well being. Until then, take care.